Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. All right, awesome. Let's jump in. The first Samuel 17 verse 1 says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. The Philistines are God's um, kind of uh, God's people's enemies. And really, when you read um, the scriptures, you find that they pop up quite frequently. This is a, a frequent enemy. <laughs> uh, we could, could probably title this sermon series, Frequent Enemies. Uh, enemies that just keep creeping up. Enemies that keep popping up. Well, here they are again. The Philistines have gathered their armies for battle, and they are gathered at um, Succoth, which belongs to Judah. That's important. They are in the land that God promised his people. They are in Judah. They've broken through the line. They are not out somewhere in some remote place. They are in the homeland of God's people. This is where they have set up camp. This is where they are battling from. They encamp there between Succoth and Azekah in Ephes, Demim, and Saul, uh, and the men of Israel were gathered as well. They were encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. So the, the, the scene is set. They're ready to go to war. And then at that moment, there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. And this is where the music changes and, uh, you know, it gets real grim and dark. Goliath of Gath steps forward. His height is six cubits in a span that's about nine feet. He had a helmet of bronze on his head and he was armed with a coat of mail and the weight of the coat was about 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 125 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. That's about 15 pounds, just the, just the tip. And his shield bearer, he had a guy, a special guy carrying a shield for him, went before him and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11 is the key word, key verse here. When Saul and all of Israel. So Saul specifically, because he's the king, God's appointed, anointed king. He's the guy in charge. He's the great warrior. He was the tallest man in all of Israel. He was uh, the strongest fighter in all of Israel. This is why he's named specifically, because most, uh, in most of the armies in those days would have expected the king to go out. Uh, you don't send a servant boy to do this job. This is for the CEO. So that's why his name is listed here. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, all of Israel is along with them, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. The word dismayed means to be broken. They were broken. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Words can build you up and words can break you 
down, when they heard, when they heard, see what that says? When they heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 16, uh, if we skip down to verse 16, it says that this happened for 40 days. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward, took his stand morning and evening. For 40 days, the people of God were broken and greatly afraid. My message to you is simple, and this is the title of our sermon series, is that Goliath must fall. That there are, this is not just a 3,000 year old story. This is for some of you a three minute old story, a three week old story, a three month or a three decade old story. This is not just ancient history uh, that we see in this text. It's not just uh, this old ancient warrior versus this young boy. This is for us, really, it's a parable. It's a story about what God can do in and through his people. And so as I read this, and as, and as you all look over those sermon notes for the coming weeks, and you see that Goliath must fall, and uh, uh, you, we, we have different Goliaths uh, that we're gonna be talking about. Next week, we're gonna talk about the giant of fear. Fear must fall in your life. I, I, I believe that fear must fall. I, I don't believe it's an option. I don't believe it's, a, it's, just, it's just a benefit. I believe that many of us are at the place that we got to have breakthrough in our life. We got to have a, a, a fear falling moment, a moment when God steps in and takes out that thing that has been taking us out. It must fall. Goliath must fall for the sake of your own physical health. Goliath must fall. It's tearing up your body. Fear and anxiety is tearing up your body. It's killing your sleep patterns. It's destroying your relationships. Look, how long are you going to live with this thing in a valley taunting you, demoralizing you, terrorizing you? How long? I just think that the 40 days are up. I just am here to, to notify you all and the devil and every angel around here that the 40 days are up. Fear must fall. Goliath must fall. Whatever it is, if it's anxiety, if it's worry, if it's addiction, if it's anger, if if it's the spirit of rejection, it must fall. It's got to come down. There has to come a point when Jesus receives the glory for the victory that he's already accomplished in our lives. And so this sermon series is really about that. And if you're not interested in moving forward, then, then this sermon series is really not for you. Because honestly, as many of us would read those sermon notes, right? And we look at fear must fall, anxiety must fall, and uh, rejection must fall. We read those. Some of us read those and we say, oh yeah, that's, that's me. Like, I really need to be here for that week. That one right there, because that, 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 that's, that's my giant. That's my Goliath. That's what I've been fighting. That's what I've been coming up against time and time and time again. Many of us will recognize that right off the bat. But honestly, for most of us, my experience is most people will read that list and they'll say something like, boy, so-and-so really needs to be here for that week. You know what I'm saying? You know, 
Like, I need to post this on my husband's wall on Facebook, just, just, or, you know, somebody else, just randomly, I don't know. I just need to tag somebody on this one, you know, fear must fall, uh, tag, you know, you, because uh, it, it's so easy to recognize the giants in other people's lives. It's so easy to recognize, oh, they struggle with that. Oh, yeah, they've been held back by that. Oh, yeah, if they would just get over that, I mean, so many things would open up in their life. So many opportunities would open in their life if they could just break through that. It's so easy to look at other people's lives. But what I've noticed is that most people, when you ask them, well, so what are the giants in your life? What are the things holding you back? I did uh, marriage counseling one time years, years ago. Um, I, was, I was new to it. And uh, it, was at the, it was at the other church. And uh, this, 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 this couple came to me and Roe for counseling. And uh, it was just me that day. And that, that was a little scary because Roe is actually the really good counselor. I'm just the preacher. And so, uh, you know, I said, so, um, so uh, you know, lady, how about you, ladies first, you tell me what's going on. And she told me everything he wasn't doing. She told this is not a good time to look around or even say amen. But I'm, I, this is just for example, I'm just telling you. She told me everything he wasn't doing, all the compliments he wasn't giving, all the attention he used to, you know, all the kind, like, you know, I just need him to, to help. Like when he gets home, he just watches TV and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do the laundry. And she started talking about like how he like, you know, doesn't fold the laundry and stuff, like getting really specific. I'm like, oh, all right, all right, all right, okay. Okay, so we got this long list and, and this is what's wrong in our marriage. Like, this is it. I mean, if he would just, you know, shape up, like, things would be great. And I'm thinking, okay, well, great. And the whole time he's trying to interrupt her. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just, you know, ladies first, like, calm down. And, and, then, and, then, and, then, and then I'm like, okay, all right, all right, you're done. Now timer's on for you. Sir, what's going, what's wrong in your marriage? What's going on? And he just went on to talk about her and how she used to be like this. And now she's like that. And she used to be like this. And now she's like that. And all this stuff she's not doing, all the stuff she is doing. And she, and she criticizes me because when I try to fold the laundry, I don't fold it right. And uh, I can't seem to fold... I don't even know how you fold fitted sheets. I don't even know why you fold fitted sheets. That is of the devil. The devil decided someday that you need to learn how to fold socks, underwear, and fitted sheets. There's no point to folding your socks or your underwear or your fitted sheets. I'll just, I'll just put that out there. I believe it's in the Bible somewhere. Proverbs 32, verse 17, I think. And so just look it up, look it up. You know, and so I mean, I, I sympathize with the guy, but still it's like everything that was wrong in the marriage was, you know, her fault. And she thought everything was his fault. And he thought everything was her fault. It's so easy to see the giants in somebody else's life. It's so hard sometimes to see what is right in front of us. Because honestly, we are not trying to move forward. See, Goliath stood in the valley of Elah, taunted them for 40 days and 40 nights. And the people of Israel stopped fighting. That means Goliath had done what Goliath wanted to do. Goliath is not always interested in defeating you. He is often, he'll often settle for merely demoralizing you. He'll settle for you to settle. So as long as he can stop you from, see, because the, 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 the giant was already in the land that God had promised his people. They had already taken the land. The, the land belonged to the people, but the giant had already taken the land. Now he was just in a position of defense. He was just in a position of, we're going to keep what we have stolen from you. 
And, 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 and for many of us, we have, we have lost even the desire to reclaim everything that, we has been, that has been stolen from us. We've just become used to the giant in our life. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. It's just normal. I mean, you think about the scene here. David arrives at this scene. You have an army. They have weapons. They have flags. They, they sound like an army. They look like an army, but they're not fighting. They're sitting. They're sitting around campfires. They're sitting uh, tucked inside of their tents. They're strategizing about the day, I guess, when Goliath like gets tired or loses his voice or something. And then they're going to, you know, then it's going to be awesome, you know, one of these days. They're at the mercy. They're at the mercy. They have submit. They have re resignated themselves. They have, they have resigned and turned in their, their, their sovereignty. They've turned in what they owe, what, they, what belongs to them. They've turned it over. And they've just said, well, I guess we'll just, we'll just try to make sure he doesn't get any further. And that's so much of, of our lives because that's what Goliath does. Goliath comes into the inside. And whether you realize it or not, Goliath is already on the inside of you and me. We were born with Goliath on the inside of us. The Bible says we were born under the curse of sin because of the sin of Adam. Adam and Eve allowed Goliath to come into the land and now Goliath has camped out and he hasn't just moved in three weeks ago. You might've just noticed him three weeks ago, but he's been there for a very long time. He's been working on you for a very long time. He's been working on your family tree long before he was ever working on you. He's been building bondage into your lineage long before you were ever even born. He's been in the land. There's a reason why it's so hard to get him out because he didn't just move in. He's been camping out there for a while. He's had a hold, a grip, a death hold. And your dad couldn't shake him and your grandfather couldn't shake him and his dad couldn't because, because the Goliath, he didn't, just, he didn't start when you started. This, this, this giant didn't start when Saul started. Saul just came on the scene. Saul just became king just a little bit ago. And here's this guy that's been terrorizing the people of God ever since he was young. And that's what Saul re recognizes. This guy's been a fighter since his youth. And, and so one of the first things that we just need to understand and recognize is that there are giants in the land. That you can be a Christian and still have giants in the land in the land of promise. Like you can, you can, you can, you can come to church and I don't know if somebody, you know, sold you some version of Christianity where if you come to church and, and, and just kind of give your life to Jesus, then everything is going to be okay. No, the truth is there are giants in the land and, and, and basically we're always going to be fighting. Uh, Goliath had four other brothers, apparently, and we read about them in scripture, right? And so after they defeated Goliath and some of David's men later on defeated his brother, and then they, they took out his other brother and there's still another brother hanging around. Like they, they, these, these, these giants, these are a part of why God has brought you into the kingdom. He's brought you into the kingdom, yes, to save you, but now he wants you to take, to take a stand for and to see freedom come to you in your life, freedom come to you and your family, freedom come to your school or your job or your workplace or this region or this school, Williams Elementary, God is not content merely that we should get saved, camp out in our, in our tents until we go off to heaven. 
But when we, when, 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 when we get so used to giants in our life, this giant steps into our life and he is very powerful. There's a, there's a lot of writing about Goliath. It's really interesting. As we go on through the weeks, I want to talk a little more about it. But the Bible tells us some things about Goliath, but also extra biblical stuff tells us more things, which I don't know. The Bible is true, but some of these uh, rabbis used to write stuff, and some, some of their stuff's a little far-fetched. But uh, it is interesting. There, was, there, were, there were some rabbis that wrote, some ancient rabbis that, that, that wrote that, that after David killed Goliath, that, that uh, the Israelites rushed on the giant's body and, and, and cut his heart out. Uh, this is like, you know, really manly stuff. They cut his heart out, they pulled it out, and they looked at his heart, and on his heart was the imprint of his god, Dagon. And uh, you read about him. Uh, I, in fact, many of the ancient Jewish writers believed that Goliath possessed supernatural power, that he had sort of made a deal with the devil, sold his soul for supernatural fighting power, especially when it came to his sword. His sword was believed to be magical. His sword was believed to be supernatural. Um, and you say, well, that's, that sounds weird. That sounds silly. Uh, possibly. But you know, the enemy that we face does have significant power. He has significant power and he can give people significant power. Even today, he can, he can give supernatural demonic power to people who serve him. And uh, uh, the Bible sort of hints at this, actually, which is why I bring it up, because uh, later on in the book of 1 Samuel, David's on the run. He's running from Saul. David doesn't have a weapon. So David's uh, looking for a weapon. He stops by a, a place of worship, and there is, there is a priest of Jehovah. And he asks the priest, says, do you have any weapons here? And the priest says, well, we don't carry weapons here, but we do have the sword of Goliath. And David says, give me that sword because there is none like it. In other words, it's unique, it's special. And it's interesting where the priests were keeping the sword of Goliath. They were keeping it with the holy artifacts, with the artifacts that they believed to possess supernatural power and some kind of connection to God. So it is implied in scripture and it's definitely written about in, in some of the rabbinical writings that, that Goliath wasn't just a, a tall guy with a sword. He wasn't just Shaquille O'Neal with a sword. He had something extra special. And uh, we're gonna talk about his lineage here in, uh, probably next week, but he had something extra special. There was something about him uh, the, early Jew, the, 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 the early writers even said that, um, which is in the Bible, how, how a couple chapters earlier, somebody had broke through and stolen the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of the Covenant was the box that God's spirit dwelt on, very sacred, very special. If you touch it, you die. Well, uh, the, writer, uh, the Jewish writers say that, that Goliath single-handedly busted through the line and carted off this thing to bring back to his God, uh, Dagon. And it's interesting. One guy can attack the most heavily armed piece of property on the planet, carry off the most delicate uh, piece of furniture in the world. Uh, there's something special about this dude. He's, he's more powerful than he looks. And that's true of all of our giants. That's true of whatever giant is in your life. It's more powerful than it looks. People who are not facing your giant may say, well, if you're facing the giant of addiction or alcoholism, well, why don't you just stop drinking? It's not, it's not that simple. It's not that easy. This isn't just a nine foot tall guy. This is, there, he's, there, it, there's more power 
to it than, than it looks. You can say if you struggle with lust, well, why don't you just stop lusting? It's not that simple. If you struggle with bitterness, why don't you just forgive people? It's not that simple. If you struggle with anger, why don't you just calm down? <laughs> it's not that simple. It's not that easy. This giant, it looks like a nine foot tall thing with a sword, but it is not just a nine foot tall thing. There is supernatural power at work in this giant. And that's why he's been able to hold you down and hold you captive and hold you back all of your life. That's why he had such success with your parents and your parents' parents and your, I mean, right on down the lineage, why he was able to break through even Adam and Eve who didn't, who had never sinned. And with one conversation, this Goliath got them to abandon a God of perfect love, got them to doubt a God who was totally for them and had only done good things for them and weaseled his way into the land. It's just, it's not that simple. So on the outset, uh, this sermon series is not going to be about how in six weeks you're going to be perfect and you're not going to have any struggles. That's not what we're talking about. Many of these giants that we're facing, they're very entrenched. They're very powerful. But this message, this sermon series is about, yeah, recognizing that there are giants in the land, recognizing that they have a place in your life, recognizing that oftentimes we have neglected to really try to get them out of our lives, and recognizing the fact that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. In other words, recognizing that there are giants, but those giants must fall. Goliath must fall. That freedom is available. Freedom is available to you. Freedom is available for your kids. Your kids don't have to struggle with the same thing you struggled with. You don't have to struggle with the same thing your parents struggle with. Freedom is available to you. It doesn't, just because this is just, no matter how many times you've been knocked down by the same giant, freedom is available to you. God has freedom in store for you. He has purchased complete freedom. He has purchased absolute freedom. He has purchased the ability for you to choose. That's what freedom is. The ability to choose, the ability to not be a slave to anything, to not be hindered by anything, to not be held back by anything that you will be able to be as close to God as you want to be. <laughs> Which gets me to my next point. The fact of our desire. That many of us have lost the desire to take out the giants in our lives. Because we've been knocked down so many times, because we've been hurt so many times, because we've been wounded, we've, 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 we've invested in people and then we've been hurt and so we stop investing. It's the, the giant of rejection. We, 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 we've been brave, we've been bold, and we've fallen on our face. That's the giant of fear. We, we face these giants and we've fallen so many times before that we have begun to sort of just imagine that this is just the way things are. And much like the Israelites, we sit around our little fires and we pretend like we're at war, but we have not actually fought anything in a while. <laughs> That's how you know you're at war when you're fighting things. Just FYI. <laughs> That's how you know. We have come to love peace so much that we have grown to dislike conflict. We don't like the discomfort that comes from moving forward. We don't like the, 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 the getting out of our comfort zones and changing our routine that comes from advancing. We, we've decided that it's more, it's more safe if we can stay in our tents and maybe 
this is just how life is. But David comes to the scene and David messes this whole picture up. David shows up and David is shocked. David starts asking around, what shall be done for the man who takes out this giant? And uh, the guys start telling him, well, you know, you get you tax free for life, get big cash prize, you know, you get to marry the king's daughter. And, and it's like, you know, he just, just starts, see, so D- David sees it from a different perspective. They, he sees the same thing as they see, but he just sees it differently. And, he, and his second question is even more important. He says, and by the way, who is this guy that he should defy the armies of the living God? Like, everybody has been huddled up. Have you seen him? Man, he's so big. Man, he's so powerful. Boy, he stole the ark. Did you hear about that? I, I hear he's got Dagon and like, like tattooed in his heart, you know? Like, like, oh my goodness, like this guy is insane. His sword is magical. He's never been defeated. You know, everybody is so focused on the giant. And David comes in and he says, who exactly is this guy that, I mean, I understand who he is, but, but how is he being compared with God? How are we lining him up with with the God of the universe. See, David had a passion, not just for freedom, but for the fame of Jesus Christ, the name of God. He had a passion for the fame of the name of God. And that is the greater problem here. The greater problem that we have allowed giants into our life is not just that we live on about 30% of what Jesus paid for and has already shipped to our house and we just need to open the door to receive. That's unfortunate. But what's really breaking, I believe, what's breaking the heart of God is how it makes God look. The fame of God, the reputation of God. When his people who call on his name, the name of Jesus, the name above every other name, the name that we were singing about, the one who was and is to come, uh, the power of the risen one, God who does miracles, God who, does, who brings the dead to life, a God who, who, who heals blind eyes and they see, who raises up lame people and they walk, the God who, who turns um, um, Saul's into Paul's, right? The, the, God, the God of miracles, the God of wonders, the God of greatness who split the Red Sea, who poured out his, his, his anger on Pharaoh and 10 massive plagues, the God who's revealed himself at Jericho, the God who showed up in so many situations down through history, revivals in 1904 in Wales, the God who, who blows people's minds. And when, when, when that God is then represented by our lives, this is the greatest problem with giants. David shows up and he says, well, it's really unfortunate that we're all living in fear here and we're all stuck and we're not able to move forward. That's unfortunate. But what's really, what's really awful is that people think this is all God can do. That God is, is a trinket. God is a, a make you feel better in a funeral. God is, God is this, this, this sort of warm blanket. Religion is this warm blanket you turn to when everything is down. But whenever life is going fine, then you just struggle just like the rest of us. And your marriage struggles just like the rest of us. And your kids struggle just like the rest of us. And you're addicted to stuff just like the rest of us. And you're watching stuff just like the rest of us. And you're drawn to stuff just like you're just like us. I don't need your God. I mean, if, if God is just this thing that we come and sing about and talk about and hear somebody teach from an ancient book about, if that's all he is, 
What glory is that? What greatness is that? Wouldn't you be better off investing your time in the stock market or Bitcoin or something? I mean, couldn't you do something better with your life? Aren't you just believing in old wives' tales and old fairy tales if it's not really affecting your Monday through Saturday? If, if your Facebook posts look just like the rest of us, is God really that awesome? Is he really that powerful? No wonder people don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead because they've never seen any dead person rise to life in Christ. They've never seen any lives actually get changed. They just heard people adopt a Christian uh, vocabulary and they saw people dress a little bit differently and go to church on Sundays. But the real rev rev revelation of Jesus is seen when God steps on the scene of our life and Goliath falls in our life. That's when they say, wow, God is powerful because I knew you way back when. God is powerful because I was with you way back when. I am just like you, but you're not you anymore. Like you're somebody different. You're somebody else. What is going on with you? How did you go through that and still keep your marriage together? How did you go through that and still keep your peace? How did you, how, I don't understand. Like this isn't normal. That's, that's, that's what God wants. God wants his glory. So God will drop you off in the middle. Just, let's just, let's just read. I'm, 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 I'm preaching and you're just taking my word for it. But if you don't want to take my word for it, you can fast forward here in first Samuel where David actually encounters the giant. And the Philistine uh, says to him, you know, he's, he, 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 he curses him by his gods and says, you know, you look like a little kid with sticks and uh, just talks bad about him. And then verse 45, David said to the Philistine, he said, well, you come with, to me with sword and with spear, with javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The credit is going to go to the name of the Lord of hosts. The glory is going, it's got to go to the name of the Lord. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's, there's healing in the name of Jesus. There's victory in the name of Jesus. And so David is relying on the name and then he makes a prediction. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. <laughs> you gotta love the Old Testament, man. This is awesome. This is, I'm gonna cut your head off, dude. This is what's gonna happen. This is how it's gonna go down. I'm gonna strike you down. Then I'm gonna chop your head off. And then after that, I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth. And this is why, this is the purpose that I'm doing all of this. So that all of the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all of this assembly may know that the Lord saves. I wonder if people looked at your life, would they come away with the conclusion that the Lord saves? I wonder if they looked at your battles, if they looked in your valleys, would they come away with the conclusion, man, the Lord saves, the Lord delivers, the Lord does powerful, wonder-working things. And, and, and even though, I mean, I mean, because the giant is saying the exact opposite. And this is what the giant constantly says. Morning and evening, he says he was saying it for 40 days. He was saying, look, you're trapped. You're not going anywhere. No one can defeat me. I've never been defeated. I have this power. I have that power. I've done this. I've done that. I am so great. I am so powerful. You're never going to amount to any. The giant for 40 days, morning and evening, 
One Jewish writer said the reason why he said it morning and evening, called out morning and evening, is because that's when the Jews would have their prayer time. Morning prayers and evening prayers. Goliath is disrupting their connection to God. Even while they're trying to pray, the giant is yelling in their ear about how great he is and how powerful he is and how puny their God is. And that's what happens when giants stick around in our lives. Our prayer time goes from five minutes to two minutes to no minutes. Our Bible reading goes to nothing. Our connection with God goes to nothing because throughout the week, Monday through Saturday, every time we try to get quiet before the Lord, the, the, the giant just starts yelling even louder. But David comes in with this whole different perspective. David comes in and says, Goliath must fall. Goliath must fall because because you desire freedom. Goliath must fall because God deserves fame. Goliath must fall because his people must be a representation of his power. His people must be a, re a, a revelation. His people must be a manifestation of his power. And this is what David is so concerned about. And David says to, to Saul in verse 32, if you go to verse 32, Saul brings him in before him, before he goes and fights. And uh, he says, man, I, Saul says, you can't do it. And David says this to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Let no man's heart. If I could, if I could say to you any one thing today, it would be let no man or woman's heart fail because of the giants in your life or because of the giants in your community, the giants in your family. Let no man's heart fail. Another translation says, take heart. <laughs> David said, take heart. Saul, pass it up and down the ranks. Tell people to take heart. I will fight this Philistine. I will fight this giant. Take heart. Take heart means to regain your courage, means to regain your spirit, means to take, take, take back your fight. Long before you lose your freedom, you lose your fight. And the giant isn't even there to rob you of your freedom as much as he's there to stifle and to, and to stammer and stymie your fight, to get your fight out. And David said, you gotta get your fight back. You gotta get your heart back. You gotta care. You gotta, you gotta actually care about this. It's gotta bother you. It's got to bother you that this giant lives rent-free in your home, that this giant lives rent-free in your mind, that this giant lives rent-free in your habits and in your life. It's got to bother you that you don't have freedom over this. It's got to bother you that people don't see Jesus in you because all they can see is the giant that has come up in your life. It's got to bother you. Acts 17, there's a passage in Acts 17 where, where Paul is, is waiting for his friends. He's in Athens. And it says that while he was waiting, he noticed, he noticed all of the idols that were in Athens. All the idols right here, all the idols that were in Athens. And, and it says that his spirit was provoked. He was ticked. He was bothered. This messed him up. This, this ate at him. This burned him. The actual word means like acid next to your skin. This annoyed the heck out of him. This bothered him. Not the people. He's not mad at people. He's mad at idols. 
You got, at some point, you got to get your heart back. You got to get your fire back. You got to get the eye of the tiger, man. It's the eye of the tiger. You got to get the eye of the tiger back. You lost that. At some point, you, you, you lost, you lost the desire to see freedom in your life and you settled for much less than God paid for. And so you're living in much less than God paid for. So the first message to you is take heart. Get your heart back in the game. Get your head back in the game. This is real life. This is all you got. 2018 might be the, your last year on earth. How are you going to live? How are you going to be remembered? How are you going to be known? How are people, what are people going to write about you when you're gone? What are they going to post about you? What are they going to share about you? How are you going to be known? Because it's not how you act here. Nobody ever, I never hear anybody talking about, oh, every time I saw them in church, they were so whatever. No, it's real life. Life is the battleground. And life is where victories are won and victories are lost. So you got to get your heart back. You got to get your, your, your desire back. It's, coach, put me in the game kind of thing, you know? There's no NFL players that don't want the ball on the one yard line. It's, it's weird that we have so quickly, happily sat on the sidelines of our own life and hope that, that things work out. But first of all, you got to take heart. You got to take courage. And secondly, you have to look at the second part of that statement that David said. He said, let no man lose heart. In other words, tell the men to take heart for I will fight. I will fight this giant. And this is where a real turn or twist would, would exist if you've grown up in church and you've kind of seen yourself as Goliath and, and basically you just need to go get some spiritual stones and, and, and uh, get a spiritual sling out of storage and go out there and, and take out this giant. But, but this, is, this is not our role in the story. Uh, I actually preached in this, this passage back about eight years ago, and then Louis Giglio stole my notes and wrote a big book about it, and now we're doing his sermon series and his, uh, his small group. But um, truly, it just doesn't make sense that you would be David, because how many times have you fallen to this giant? How many times have you lived in fear of this giant? I know I could count numerous times. We are not David, we are Saul, anointed, appointed, and scared to death. Jesus is David. Jesus steps into our story. Jesus says to us, take heart, do not fear. In this world you have tribulation, do not fear. I have already overcome this world. Jesus steps into our battlefield. Jesus has already overcome the giant of sin and death. In fact, he used his own sword to do it. <laughs> the thing that, that, you, that, he, that the enemy used to cause fear, which is death, Jesus used death and by his death overcome the devil. Overcome, he overcame sin. He's already stepped into our story. He's already been victorious. And he's speaking to you today. I have already gone and fought the battle. I have already stepped into your tomorrow. I've already stepped into your battlefield. And what David did after he defeated Goliath, he, he cut his head off and then he held his head up, looked back at, at all of his friends on the field and held his head up to let them know that he was totally defeated. And this is what Jesus is doing for us today. He's holding up the head of the thing that has 
demoralized us and terrorized us. And he's saying, look, just come on. Just, just get out of your tent. Get away from the fire. Get away from the comfort. Just, just come, come with me. I've already defeated this thing. You say, well, if he's already defeated, then why is it I'm still held bondage by this? Well, it's simple. Because he's still, the giant still has his head. And he's still talking. In verse 11 of 1 Samuel 17, it says, this is our starting verse, that when Saul and all the people of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, their hearts were broken, their spirits were broken, and they began to be very afraid. In other words, Goliath is still talking. He's still talking to you. He's talking to you on social media. He's talking to you through, through various outlets. He's talking to you in your mind. He's talking to you from your past. He's talking to you from your relatives and your in-laws. He's talking to you from your friends from high school. He's talking to you. He's taunting you. He's demoralizing you. He's, he's, he's in your ear because he's in the land. Your enemy is not out there. It's in here. It's the greatest enemy. And, and he, from in here, he condemns you. From in here, he blames you. From in here, he tempts you. You're never tempted by something that doesn't look appealing. Do you ever notice that? Because <laughs> he knows what's appealing to you. So the, the giant is taken down. Goliath must fall, but he does still have power in our lives. He's talking. So how do you, how do you, how do you get him to stop talking? Well, <laughs> you have to change the soundtrack. If you want to change your story, you have to change your soundtrack. You have to change what is playing in your ear. In other words, you need to do more than just come to church on Sundays. And we love you coming to church on Sunday, eating cake, having fun. Our kids are learning about Jesus. It's awesome. But that's also why we're launching small groups to go along with this sermon series. Because small groups will help you change the soundtrack. Because small group is not just on Sunday. Come to church on Sunday, hear a sermon, an overview, and then go to small group on Wednesday night and dig deeper in it. Build relationships with people that will speak into your life, that will friend you on Facebook, that will encourage you, that will walk with you, that will speak a better word in your ear, that will remind you that Jesus is the giant slayer, that he has already overcome the evil one, that will encourage you to keep going, that will strengthen your arms, strengthen your legs, get you on your feet. Here's the thing. God's not calling us to armor up or to buck up. This sermon series isn't about, let's try harder now. 2018, man, we're going to kick it. Well, yeah, try, I'm 37. I've tried that a few times. I don't think that's, that's not what David said. David didn't say, Saul, you got this. No, this giant's so entrenched that only the son of God, armed with the power of God, could defeat him. And he has defeated him. And now he's not asking you to armor up or to step up. He's asking you to wake up. <laughs> to wake up to the reality of compromises that you've made with the devil. Deals that you've made with dysfunction. He's, he's, he's asking you to take heart. He's asking you to stop being okay with these idols. 
He's asking you to wake up and he's asking you to look up. This is why I think David could have such a different perspective. After all, it was David in Psalm, Psalm 96 who said, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the people. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due to his name. Bring an offering. Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. When you have trembled before God, you don't tremble before Goliath. David in Psalm 8 said, what is man? He said, when I consider the works of your hands, the works of your fingers, when I think about the stars of the sky, when I look up into the heavens, he's like, dude, I just came from Bethlehem. And while I was watching my sheep, I looked up and I saw a God who was way bigger than any nine foot tall giant. I saw a God who flung galaxies into existence, hold them together by the word of his power. When I think about his works of his hands, I think what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Who am I, God, that you would notice me a tiny speck of dust on a slightly larger ball of dust swirling around a slightly larger ball of fire? Who is? Who am I that you would notice me? And when you stand before God and you have this realization of how great he is, how tiny you are, then you're giant. I mean, yeah, he's, there's not really not much difference between a five-foot speck of dust and a nine-foot speck of dust. From that vantage point, I mean, you know, dirt is dirt, dust is dust. Who, how, I mean, are we really going to split hairs over who's taller here? Because the God that I serve is so vast and so big. I'm so captivated and, 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 and enthralled in his glory. I see you, giant, but I look above you and there's this massive God who is in control, who is sovereign, who is powerful, and who is jealous for his name to be glorified in my life. So no, not intimidated. So you have to change what you listen to and what you look at. 